0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Mark 10 verses 13 through 16. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to these who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. As I was preparing for today's message, I was researching stories on childhood traumas. I mean, I can come up with 50 out of my own life, but I didn't want to keep it always about me. But as I was researching, as I was reading, as I was learning, I was trying to pick an example. But you know what? They are all too terrible to share. We live in a world that is really, really hard. And childhood is the place where so many of our wounds, the, the lies that we learn as a result, become so ingrained in us. And we end up building lives off of things that just aren't true, off of of statements, ideas that are false. More than that, these traumas often lead us down sinful paths as we search for meaning and comfort for our pain. Addiction is one of those paths. We've been talking about addiction over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to continue for two more weeks after this. Being that today is Family Worship Sunday, I wanted to make sure that we talked about addiction and how to prevent it early. How to address the traumas in the lives of our young people so as to prevent them from going down the path of trying to find comfort, solace, healing, and meaning in places other than Jesus Christ. I mean, think of your own life. None of us have made it through childhood unscathed, have we? Each and every one of us can think of a time, maybe a statement that somebody said to you that maybe was even in passing when they said it, but it drove deep, It created a wound and a scar through which you interpreted the rest of your life. Every time someone said a statement in a similar manner, it brought up that hurt. We live in a fallen world where bad things happen, and they certainly don't wait to happen until we're (laughs) 21. In fact, the majority of them occur to us while we're still children. In the 12 steps, the fourth step says that I made a searching and fearless moral inventory. Of myself so looking at our lives taking a deep dive and seeing what motivates us to act how do we sin against others how have we sinned against others and how have others sinned against us in doing that deep inventory I found in my own life that there were many things there were many things that happened to me that were said to me that I thought interactions events that were traumatic And I built my life off of a lie stemming from that trauma. Part of the fifth step, the next step, is sharing it with another person. Telling God, telling another person, admitting to ourselves exactly what had happened. Coming to terms with the traumas and the sins in our life. When I did that, there was something so cathartic about sharing my trauma. It's been said that pain shared is pain lessened. When we trust another human being, when we come to them in faith and we say what it is that has happened to us, we often hear them say, oh, yeah, that happened to me too. We don't feel so alone. We realize that somebody else has walked this path as well and has also been injured like me. I'm not by myself here. It's especially helpful when we share that with somebody who knows Jesus who knows our Lord, who can point us to the cross and say, I know what happened to you hurt. That's a terrible thing. That shouldn't have been that way. But I want you to know that you don't have to carry this lie around, that there is a healer who can heal you, one who can restore that lie to truth and tell you who you really are. That person is Jesus. Sometimes I think, well, what about if this never happened? What if... I had not experienced these traumas. What if I had interpreted the things that had happened to me differently? Maybe things would have been different. And I think this is true in some way. After all, what they say about other things is certainly true in addiction. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We need to start paying attention to the traumas and hurts that happen in the lives of our young people soon instead of overlooking them and allowing them to fester, creating a wound that influences the rest of their life. As parents, grandparents, family, and friends of the children in our lives, we have a responsibility to prevent what we can and point our children to Christ for the rest. Pointing our children to Jesus is our responsibility that they would be healed from childhood traumas, the ones that often fuel addictions later on in life. We need to know how to help our kids process these things biblically. Otherwise, they go unhealed, and they will attempt to heal themselves. And because of our sinful hearts, we search search in all the wrong places. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, men, women, relationships, money, vacations, houses, anything. And we all have our own thing, trust me. So in Mark 10, Jesus is ministering to, you know, it's interesting. It says that he's in the house of one of the disciples. Jesus is at someone's home. He's at one of our houses. And someone wants to bring their children into Jesus to be blessed. And one of us, one of Jesus' disciples say, not now, you're bothering. You're bothering him. There are principles, though, from this short passage that if we apply to our own lives in the way we parent, the way we encourage parents, in the way that we interact with the young people in our lives, it will have lasting impact on them. It will have an impact that otherwise they will not find. It will heal their traumas and they will find comfort and solace in their pain. So the first principle from this passage we're going to talk about today is we need to point our children to Jesus Christ. Point our children to Jesus Christ. One day some parents brought their kids to jesus so he could touch them and bless them but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them first thing i noticed in this passage is they brought their children how many of us as parents have failed to bring our children to jesus to present them as an offering this idea in the greek word here is just that they you bring a sacrifice how often have we prayed to the lord and said lord they're yours I know there's been a few times I've said, Lord, just deal with it. (laughs) But how often do we really present our kids to the Lord when they're struggling, when we're struggling with parenting them? Things seem to be going awry. They're making bad choices. We're making bad choices because I guarantee you we make as many mistakes parenting them as they do trying to obey us. How often do we present them to the Lord and we say, Lord, their life is your life. Their journey is your journey do with them as you will, and then trust the Lord to do it, that they are not our ki- that they are not our children, they've simply been entrusted to us. and we are stewards helping guide them on the journey, but never in control of the outcome. Parents, how many times have you struggled with the idea of, "I've got to get this right. If I don't get this right, it's going to be all messed up. They're going to be messed up. They're going to ruin their life. It'll be a disaster. The truth is, is that we feel oftentimes as parents that we have way more control than we actually do. And because we have this misguided sense of control in their lives, we try harder, we work harder, we try to manipulate circumstances and places and what they think and what they do, so on and so forth. When in the end, they're on their journey with the Lord. They are not ours. We sometimes make matters worse by trying to fix our kids or their problems instead of bringing them to the one, the only one who can truly do it, Jesus. You know, we might start out, well, Lord, take my kid, help him with this thing. And then a week later, oh, it's not fast enough, so I need to come in and start doing something. Can you imagine the peace of raising children, of raising grandchildren, of interacting with young people, of presenting the gospel, pointing them to Jesus, and then being able to take a deep breath and saying, Lord, it's on you the freedom that it must bring to parenting. I say it must bring because I don't always feel that. I admit it. I often want to control. I want to fix things. I want to bring consequences in such a way that sometimes lacks grace. And I'm sure you have as well. But the idea of giving our kids up to the Lord and asking him to do it, not working on our own behalf or on his behalf, but simply trusting him. Or worse, saying, Lord, why aren't you doing anything? Things are getting worse. In the lives of my own life and the lives of many I know, it often had to get worse before it got better. Sometimes as parents, we don't have the words to say because we're the wrong person delivering them. How many times have you told your child or grandchild something? A thousand times. And then some Johnny-come-lately comes in and says the exact same thing, and it's like an epiphany in their brain? We can't do it. Sometimes we're the wrong person to deliver the message. Sometimes the prayer needs to be, when we're bringing people, when we're bringing our kids before Jesus, the prayer needs to be, Lord, put someone in their life, not me. Put somebody who can break through their hardness of heart in all of the context of every argument we've ever had, every bad interaction we've ever had, all the sins they've seen me commit, bring someone else into their lives that they can hear the truth. These parents in this account wanted that Jesus to touch their children. You know, touch is something important, especially in the Scripture, what it means. They wanted Him to heal their kids, to bless their kids, and empower their kids. In the Scripture, when we lay hands on people, that was often—that's uh, often what's being done—is the empowering or the, the sending out with power on a mission. And this is what these parents were asking Jesus to do. You know, Christ came as a healer to heal the brokenhearted. Our kids are just as broken as we are. Our kids are the people that Jesus came to heal too. No matter what we think or say, we cannot heal our kids. Jesus has to do it. I mean, think about this. We lack the capacity to heal ourselves, don't we? We all have hurts and traumas and scars that we carry around in life. What makes us think that we can help them figure it out? In the end, it's got to be the Lord. When our children are hurting, we need to comfort them. We need to tell them it's going to be okay. That's just a trite saying, a platitude, but it's going to be okay because. Because Jesus is here. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. When your children are struggling, kids, when you are struggling, when things are hard, when someone hurts your feelings, when something bad happens, look to Jesus. Ask Jesus to heal your heart, and he will. We help our kids see things through Jesus' eyes. You know, mommy, daddy, something happened at school. This person said this hateful thing to me. Well, what does Jesus say about it? that must have made you feel so sad. Yes, it made me feel sad. Do you think that's true what they said? I don't know, maybe. But what does Jesus say? Bring our children before the Lord and point to his truth. Because often what we say has zero to little credibility. It's like that in every area of life. We need to trust what God says, not what we think, not what we feel, not our best reasoning, not our logic. What does the Lord say? They brought their children for blessing, that he would lay their hands on them and impart some blessing to them, some spiritual or or material blessing. Don't you want what's best for your kids? There are things that we want for our children that we cannot provide. Only the Lord can provide them, and bringing our children to the Lord for his healing touch and his blessing is the only way we can expect this to happen in their lives. We often seek to give them everything in an attempt to provide that which only God can provide the things that they need for a truly healthy, godly life. We want to buy them toys and clothes and trips and things and stuff and more lessons and more sports and more and more, thinking that we're going to provide the best opportunity for them. Well, let me tell you something, just really flat out. We can say everything perfectly. By some miracle, we could say everything that God has asked us to say to our kids. We've nurtured them at every end, every step. We've encouraged them every time. We've provided them with everything that they need. And you know what? They can go astray. Because believe it or not, they have their own wills and choice in sinful hearts as well. So we need to point them to Jesus. In the end, those blessings we ask for our kids need to come from the will of God and not from the will of man if they are to be effective. We speak of God in the home as the source of all our blessings. Mommy, do I want that? You better ask Jesus. God is the source of everything we have. God is the source of everything they need. Let's point our children there to the source of everything. Finally, they ask the lord to lay hands on for the purpose of empowering our children face temptation just like we do and let me tell you a secret they sin no differently than we do many of us think we got it together we sin less hopefully we do i think the honest truth is is that when god looks down on our kids and they look down on us he sees two of the same we all struggle with sin so, if we need the Holy Spirit's power within us, if we need God to empower us in order for us to walk a godly life, what makes us think that our children don't need the same? Think about that. I lived a life of rampant disobedience. I knew that the only way, now I know, the only way that I was ever going to walk in the will of the Lord according to the path of life and righteousness was in the power of the Holy Spirit. So now I deal with my kids who may or may not be saved at the moment. Some of your children, some of these kids here aren't saved yet. And then we say, do better, do better. And they don't have it in them. And then we get frustrated. And what do we do as followers of the Lord? We end up sinning. (laughs) Either in our frustration, our words, our anger, our hurt. Our children need Jesus. That is the place that we point them. What holds true for us, how we fight temptation, holds true for them as well. They need the same divine power to fight sin and temptation. So point them to Jesus when they're tempted. Encourage them to say, I know this is tempting for you. I know you struggle with this, with sharing or saying mean things. I know you might want to say, come tell me when you want to say a mean thing. Don't do it yet. Come tell me first. If after we talk you want to go do the mean thing, go do the mean thing. At least give them a fighting chance to talk them out of it and point them to Jesus in the process. By the way, it diffuses the whole situation. In the end, they're probably not going to do what they were going to do to begin with. But you encourage them. Come to me. Tell me what's happening. And you point them to the Lord. When they have sinned, point them to Jesus. Tell them he is the source of their forgiveness, their hope, and their healing. Remind them of Jesus' grace and love for them. And encourage them that the power they need to live the life you are often asking them to live comes through the power of the Holy Spirit not greater consequences, not longer groundings, not louder shouting, not... It's funny, as I stand here now, I'm like getting hit with the Holy Spirit conviction. It's easy for me to tell us how we should be doing things. It's a whole nother beast to be following through and doing it. And so you know what? I recognize I need the Holy Spirit too, but we can do this in the power of the Lord. He's promised that we can do this in the power of the Lord. These parents wanted Jesus finally to pray for them, to bring our children to Jesus in prayer is something that is so fundamental to being a parent in this world. Raising our children up and saying, "Lord, do whatever you have to do." There was a time lane, and I sat around the table and we were praying for dinner. Calvin was there. We said, "Lord, uh, we, asked Cal- we asked that you would bless Calvin, bless his food, and if he's doing anything wrong, get him caught really quick." And he looks and he goes, "Hey, that's a blessing." That's a blessing to be stopped, convicted, and caught of our sin, to have it put in our face so we can look to Jesus for healing, so we can look to him for his empowering to overcome that sin. Jesus, in turn, when we bring our kids to him, he intercedes before the Father on their behalf. We need to point our children to Christ by praying with them and for them. Hey, kids, Hey, did you know that Jesus is praying for you right now? Did you know that in heaven, Jesus is next to his dad and he's praying for your heart and for your life. And he wants to make you a better person. He wants to heal you and he wants to love you. You know that? Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that awesome? So when you're sick or you're worried or you're angry, you can go to him and tell him what's happening because he wants to help you. The second principle from this passage is that not only do we have to bring our kids, we need to remove obstacles between Jesus and our children. Remove obstacles. And Jesus saw what was happening, and he was angry with his disciples. He said, let the children come to me. Do not stop them. Do not hinder them. Many of you know the King James. Suffer the children to come unto me. Let them come. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. The NLT, which is the passage we read this morning, New Living Translation, says that... uh, the disciples didn't want them to bring Jesus because they thought it was bothering him. And that might be inferred from the passage. I think that's totally reasonable, but I think there's other things that could be happening here as well. We should at least discuss them. Maybe they thought Jesus was too busy. I mean, think about our own lives. Are we too busy to bring our kids to Jesus? Are we carving out time in our life to bring our children before the Lord? It's a worthy question. I suspect that many of us are not. Many of us are not. Maybe it's because we have a misunderstanding about Jesus himself and his own ministry in our own lives. Do we think Jesus is too busy for us? Do we think that Jesus has other things, bigger fish to fry? I've said this in the past. Someone asked me before, you know, what, when is a thing big enough to bring to the Lord? Yes, always. Roxanne said this passage today, and I was going to use it in here as well. He knows every hair on our head. If he knows every hair on our head, what makes us think that he would be disinterested in anything that's happening in our lives? One time I came down, I think I've said this before, into the kitchen, I was hungry, and I opened the thing. I think Lane was in there. I said, Lord, what cereal should I have? What cereal? I'm in a relationship. Wouldn't I ask the same question to Elaine if I were in the kitchen? What should I have, honey? Why is it any different that I wouldn't stand before the Lord and ask him what I should do Is a relational interaction between me and my Lord? the one who I was built for intimacy with. Maybe we think it's a waste of time. Maybe going to Jesus won't get us what we think it's going to get us. Maybe raising our children up before the Lord isn't going to achieve what we think it's going to achieve, betraying, obviously, a lack of trust in what the Lord has said. I mean, thinking bringing our kids to the, uh, before the Lord is a waste of time rejects the biblical truth of transformation that, that Jesus works in us and our children. It rejects the biblical truth of an individual's infinite worth. I mean, think about how valuable your kids are. And think about how infinitely, you know, the word is omnipotent. God's capable of doing anything. How important it is then to bring our children before the Lord, the only one who can fix anything. Anything. We should be running to bring our kids to the Lord. Removing everything in their way. Because you know what the truth is when we're going to talk about this? We're usually the obstacle. That's really the bottom line. Parents are usually the obstacle. These are kids. They're not making their own obstacles. It's us. Maybe it was too hard for the disciples to manage the crowd. You know, I think that this translates into the idea that sometimes we're so busy doing ministry and in, in the day-to-day details of life that we fail to miss what's really important. We fail to see the blessing of our children growing up right before us. We're so invested in things that really don't matter to maintain a life of our choosing, to maintain a ministry, that we fail to see what's really important. Jesus was often swarmed, and the disciples are often shown in the scripture doing some sort of crowd control. Don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. Sometimes we try so hard raising our kids, we end up missing the fact that we have kids. We fail to see them, their heart, and their needs. I mean, we can hinder our children in so many ways. Listen, we cannot preach the gospel of grace to them. They come to church, all they hear is, do better, do better, do better, don't do this, do this instead. They never hear the truth of grace, that they can never do better. That on their own, they will never do well enough. But God, because he loves them and he loves us, lavishes us with grace in Jesus and point our children there. Our kids mess up, make it so obvious that we still love them and God still loves them. That we still love them and God still loves them. We can create obstacles by not emphasizing spiritual matters in the home. How many of us come to church on Sunday? That's the only time we talk about God, prayer, the word, the Bible, anything. Emphasize spiritual matters at home. We can focus on obedience over relationship. I don't care about, just do what I say. How many of us have said that? Just do as I say. I think one of the biggest ways that we create an obstacle between our children and Jesus is our hypocrisy. We can be real hypocrites sometimes, can't we? I mean, it's, I, I'm definitely the target for this, right? Because I stand up each Sunday and I preach about how we should be. And then we drive home and Calvin sees a totally different thing. Elaine knows. And some of you close to me know. The truth is, is we all struggle with this. We all struggle to make our outside behavior match the inside. That integrity that God demands from us. And, and we depart from how the gospel is calling us to live. Yet even in the face of that, we need to be honest about the way we struggle before our kids, saying, no, I'm not perfect. Mommy and Daddy, no. The other day I had an argument with Calvin. I was totally wrong. And it didn't take it until later in the day, we were driving. Lane rode with me. She rode, you know. We're a united front. Later on, we got in the car. She said, and I said, oh, man, I messed that up. She said, "Uh uh-huh. We talked about it in the car, and I was like getting ready to like season my crow. Had to go back and tell my 16-year-old, "Hey, I was wrong. I overreacted completely. I went. It was crazy. I'm sorry." Our kids need to see us be wrong, to seek the grace of God, and they need to see us ask for forgiveness. Otherwise, we just become hypocrites, and Christianity loses all of its appeal. The beauty of Christ is gone. Not encouraging them to participate in the community of believers. How about this? Get ready for this phrase. You're going to youth group. Non-negotiable. You're going to church. You're going. Sinful hearts will depart from the Lord unless they're cultivated and encouraged to go. We need to encourage our children to participate in the community of believers. Maybe one way we put obstacles between our kids and Jesus is that we try to fix all their problems instead of pointing them to Christ. We manage their lives. We control their circumstances. Maybe we place an obstacle by helping them found their worth and identity in their behavior or in worldly measures. What scholarship they get, what college they go to, what kind of car they have, the clothing they wear, what kind of phone, that's a big one. Oh, what kind of phone? We reinforce it in our own life by placing emphasis on those things in our own life, and it teaches our children that really what matters are externals instead of Jesus. The final principle for this morning out of this passage is removing obstacles to Jesus demonstrates our own humility. Removing obstacles between our kids and Jesus is a demonstration of our own humility, the humility that Christ demands of his children. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, like a child, will never enter it. Those are strong words. He doesn't say it's going to be hard for you to get in unless you're like a child. Will never enter the kingdom. Then he took the children in his arms. Could you imagine the look on the disciples? Could you imagine the look that Jesus probably gave the disciples as he lifted that kid up? In the conviction that they must have felt. I hope they felt. I know I would have felt it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. Jesus scolds the disciples for not allowing the children to come to him because the this is what it really is the disciples behavior betrays a significant misunderstanding of grace of grace it showed a lack of humility in them that is necessary in the children of god you see they misunderstood their own need for grace compassion and mercy they thought they had it figured out i'm an adult i got this these kids are just a waste of time they're bothering jesus It's easy for us to forget what it took for us to come to Christ. Because the truth is, his children are helpless just like us. We were helpless when we came to the Lord. We had nothing to commend ourselves to him, to earn anything, yet Jesus in his love and compassion overlooked those things as we trusted Christ and placed them on him, making a way out of grace and mercy for us. Some of the childhood traumas uh, that our kids will experience or that we have experienced are caused by parents who lack humility, parents who lack humility. That's a tough teaching, but it's true. We are no better than our children. We are no better than our kids. When we demand changed behavior, when we ask them to be obedient to our rules in the house, when we enjoin them to live differently, to live according to biblical principles, when we're saying it, we need to filter what we're asking them to do through the memory of our own obstinance and disobedience. Otherwise, it becomes do as I say, not as I do. Or it becomes unrealistic expectations. A level of perfectionism that fails to see how we have failed in so many ways. Ever demanding more and more and more. Which sparks us on a collision course with habitual sin and addiction. Habitual sin and addiction. Parenting, though, this is the blessing of it. Not only parenting, do we get to watch our children grow? Do we get to see a front row seat of God's transformation in the lives of our kids? But if it's done right... Maybe even if it's done wrong. Parenting, if we let it, will make us more like Jesus. Parenting will make us more like Jesus. The same is true for marriage. You know, Lainey knows how to press my buttons, and I certainly know how to push hers. Opportunities to learn how to give grace and extend forgiveness are manifest in a marriage and in a family. I mean, think about it, how many times we're frustrated, impatient, angry. How many times we are demanding, we fail to give grace. Yet, if we allow the Lord to motivate our parenting, if we allow the Lord to teach us what it means to parent well, to love like Jesus loved, to be sacrificial, gracious, patient, and loving, we, in turn, will become more like him. And as we do, we will help further our children overcome some of the traumas that are occurring in their lives, some of the things that we don't even know about. Because our kids are going to have traumas that we never know about. But if we're consistently and constantly pointing them to the Lord, if we're living lives sold out to him, seeking to be authentic in the way that we serve him and live our Christian life, they will see an example. And even when they're old, They'll not depart from it. They'll know what to do. They'll see what it's supposed to look like all through the grace of Jesus Christ. So the three points, let's go over them again. Point your children to Jesus Christ. This says bring them. So there's an activity here. Bring them. Remove obstacles between Jesus and your kids, namely your own behavior. Your own behavior. And remove obstacle, removing obstacles to Jesus demonstrates your own humility. Listen the humility God demands from you as children of God. I'm so excited that we have so many young people in our church. I'm so excited. I mean, the baby dedications. Wasn't that awesome? That was so awesome that we have families who are making bigger families, these young people who are coming to get dedicated before the Lord i got to be honest, I was, as I was writing, I was a fairly sterile you know, thing in my head. I was not imagining that when I spoke to these kids that they were going to look back at me. <laughs> like holding a doll or something. No, they looked and they listened. It was as if God had opened those infants' ears to hear that blessing. I just pray that God would drive that deep into their hearts and heal the wounds that may already be there. And certainly provide healing balm to prevent the wounds that are sure to come. As a family church, as a a family of families, we have a responsibility. Let's Let's step into that responsibility and be a place of nurture and love, compassion, and grace here at Grace Bible Church. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for our children. We often thank you, Lord, for the material blessings that we have, but fail to hold up our very own as the biggest blessing in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would protect them, protect their little hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would give them truth, that you would teach them who they really are, not who Satan wants them to believe they are. We pray, Lord, that you would help us point our children to Christ any way that we can. Give us creative eyes. Help us to see, Lord. Remove the obstacles, namely our own disobedience and hypocrisy. Help us, Lord, to not value the things of this world, but to value you and you alone and do it so our kids can see. And Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to see our own need for you and to translate that into the way we parent and grandparent and nurture and love the youngest people in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for them, for they are a blessing. In Jesus' name